0: Hi, welcome to the Charlotte Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message and that it both encourages and inspires you. So it's Miracle Month, in case you uh, didn't pick up on what Kim said, right? It's Miracle Month. So we fast and pray. We believe God's gonna do many mighty miracles. So I was thinking about all of this Late at night, and I couldn't sleep, and I was watching TV. Who's ever done that? Watch TV late at night, you can't sleep. Random stuff, shopping channel, all that. And so I'm I'm channel surfing to find something to watch. And I find this music documentary, and so that was pretty much it. So I'm watching this music documentary. Right at the very end, it's mentioning that this particular guy, who was like the star of the show, what's happened to him is he died a couple months after the filming of this. So this was released after his death. Which made me think this was his last opportunity to share the genius of his musical ability. His last opportunity to weigh in on things and set the record straight on stuff and do all of that kind of thing, which is cool. And then that made me think very randomly while I was sitting there on my couch about people writing things at the end of their life or people being interviewed at the end of their life. It's their last opportunity to speak into all that topics. I started to think of autobiographies and memoirs. And some of these books get released right before they die. But other ones, because of delays in printing, especially during this pandemic season, actually get released after they die. And so it's like they're speaking from beyond the grave. So I'm thinking about all this. And as I often do when I'm watching TV, I have my Bible with me, which is a bit random, but I do it. And I found myself in a part of the Bible that is just like That right. I uh, found myself stumbling across something like that, and I started thinking about what would I do if I had like a week to live, and I was writing my thoughts. What would you do if I gave you a keyboard and a mouse and a blank Word document and said, write a letter, write a couple pages long about anything you like, and this is it. And after this, you're going to die. What what would you do? What would you say? Would you justify certain decisions? Would you explain certain things that you feel like people didn't understand? Would you reinforce things that you thought was important to you? The better question is, who would you address your letter to? Would you address your letter to your friends and family? Husband, wife, kids. Would you address it to God? Would you make it open? Would you publish it online so everybody could hear it? If you had two pages and one week to live, what would be on those two pages? So... While my brain is percolating on all those thoughts, big shout out to our coffee team, and I'm thinking about all of this, I'm looking at this part of the Bible. And if you've got your Bible, why don't you turn with me to it, to the book of Second Peter. If you've got a physical Bible, you need to turn to the, right to the end of the Bible. It's like a few pages back from the end. You've got a digital Bible, go to the New Testament, scroll through till you get to the book of Second Peter. Because the funny thing about this is most people think of it as a book. I just referred to it a book, but it's actually not really a book. It's kind of more of a letter. In fact, Peter even thinks of it as a letter. He refers to it as a letter. It's a letter from Peter. Now, you might be thinking, well, that's great, Phil, but why should I care about this letter? Well, we've spoken about Peter before here at Shiloh, but if you don't know who Peter is, Peter is one of the 12 disciples. But that alone is fantastic and special and all that. But there's another thing with Peter. God has picked him, Jesus picked him to be the first head of the church. So to Catholics, he's the first Pope. To Christians like us, he's the first pastor. He's the head of the church and he's writing his final thoughts. He created the first pumping church before he died. But more interesting than that is the fact that this was a dude who understood miracles. Apart from Jesus, as far as I'm aware, he's the only person to ever have walked on water Pretty impressive. Um, but not only that, when as Christians we celebrate the day of Pentecost, which is where the Holy Spirit came down and miracles became a thing. You wouldn't have been able to do Miracle Month prior to that, but we can do Miracle Months right now. Peter was not only there, he was preaching at that event, right? He was the guy. Pretty impressive. Not only that, Peter had a pretty track record, pretty good track record of miracles. His miracle resume, if you will, is pretty good reading. Um, for example, um, right out when he was just getting started on doing miracles, he goes to the temple, which is like a prototype of the church. And he goes there and there's a guy who can't walk. He's a beggar. He's very famous though. He's very well liked. And uh, Peter does a miracle. He rises up and walks. But not only that, that was just the start of miracles. Peter did so many miracles. He got such a reputation. So many people talked about Peter's miracles. So many people wanted to get close to Peter that crowds would gather and they would go, well, I guess I can't touch Peter. I can't get that close. So what I'll do is I'll just stand on a spot where maybe if his shadow passes across me, I'll get. Healed and they got healed. Legit. I'm not making that up. You can read it in Acts chapter 5, right? So Peter was a guy that understood miracles, but Because of all of this stuff, he was causing quite a stir. And the Romans didn't appreciate that stir because as a result of all of this stirring, people said, hey, this Jesus guy, I think maybe he's God. And I think we should ditch these Roman gods, which wasn't very popular because one of the gods was the emperor. right? So if you're going to ditch the Roman gods, that's going to get you into a bit of trouble. And there were crowds which they didn't enjoy. And there was a whole bunch of stuff we didn't enjoy. And so Peter basically finds out that the Romans want him killed. So he could die at any day. He could die today, he could die tomorrow, he could die next week. And so he pens one final letter like his voice beyond the grave. What's fascinating about this letter, if you read it, and I was reading it at night on my couch, what's fascinating about this letter is not only is he writing it to the people alive today, he hints that he knows, I think through the power of the Holy Spirit, that this letter is going to long, 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 long go into the future. And he's writing it for an audience that has yet to come. Which means, I wonder, if maybe through the Holy Spirit, Peter knew that here in Ipswich today, we would be reading this letter. Maybe he thought about you when he was writing these words. So, we're going to go and going to read as much of it as we possibly can. I won't read it all. That will take too long. So homework is you've got to read it at home. Second Peter chapter 1. Let's kick off in verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us a very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in his divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires." And for this reason, make every effort to add to your faith, goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hello, it's not enough to be saved. We need to be productive Christians in the kingdom, right? It's not enough that you got a ticket to heaven. There's other people who need a ticket too, right? And so we got to be productive people. People, our world needs that. It doesn't just need more believers. It needs more effective, productive, powerful, holy ghost, big thinking believers. If you believe that, say amen. But whoever does not have them is short-sighted and blind, forgetting what they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm to your calling and election, for if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And then he goes on, he starts talking about false prophets, people who say stuff that he thinks is heretical, it isn't godly, it isn't right. And then he talks about people whose influence on your life drags you away from your faith. Let's pick it up in chapter 3. It's only a few chapters long. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. That's why it's called 2 Peter. This is the 1 Peter. This is a sequel, right? I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through the apostles. Above all, that you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming he promised? Ever since our ancestors die, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water by water. And by these waters, also the word of that time was deluged and destroyed. And by the same time, the word present, the heavens and the earth, Refused by fire, being kept on the day of judgment, destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends, that with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come into repentance. And he wraps up this letter pretty much the same as he started. So parents pay attention because when you repeat yourself, it means you really want your kids to understand something and a heavenly father is speaking. He says, Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard that you may not be carried away by the error of lawlessness and fall from your secure position, but grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. Amen. We just read most of a book of the Bible. So congratulations. High five yourself. You're a super Christian now. You've read a good chunk of the Bible. That's what you did. It's not even 10.30 in the morning. You've done it. Congrats. So Peter, a big chunk of this book, is him saying, you should not fall for false prophets. You should not fall for people who are wrong in their interpretation of Scripture. You shouldn't fall into sin. That's the big gist of his thing. But he's saying, I haven't fallen because I actually know what Jesus is like. And I don't just know intellectually. I know that I know that I know what Jesus is like. I live with the guy for three years. Not a lot of people can say that, but I can say that. Not only do I know that I know that I know him. I know how he thinks. I know how he feels. I know how he acts. You don't know him the way I know him. And if you knew him the way that I knew him, you would not fall for this stuff. But some of you are falling for all kinds of stuff. And he talks about there's going to come a time in future where people are going to preach stuff and it's going to sound good. It's going to feel good. It's going to resonate well, but it's wrong. And the reason that you will fall for it is because you don't know Jesus the way I know Jesus. And so he's saying you've got to just not have an intellectual knowledge about Jesus. You've got to have a heart knowledge. You've got to know that you know that you know that you know that you know Him. Do you know what Jesus likes to eat? He does. Do you know what Jesus finds funny? He does. Do you know the kinds of scenery that Jesus likes? He does. Do you know the kinds of conversation Jesus wants to have at the end of a long day? He does. Do you know what Jesus is like before nine o'clock in the morning? He does. He's saying, I know Jesus so well, I don't fall for that other stuff because when people say, oh, Jesus would want this, I go, hang on a minute. I remember a situation that was a little bit like that. And Jesus responded this way, which means I think you're wrong. In fact, one of the bits that we skipped over, he's addressing a specific viewpoint that's going around about Jesus, which has weirdly come back in fashion. But anyway, it's almost like he wrote this letter for future for us. Hmm. Anyway, so he's addressing that. And he says, this is a time I, I encountered Jesus. And this is what happened. And he describes it. And he says... So if that's true, then what that person is saying is a lie. So I know Jesus better than you know Jesus, but I want you to know him like I know him. Now, honesty, Tom, I'm reading all of that and I think it's cool, but I'm a little bit disappointed. I thought this is this great miracle worker. If he's a great miracle worker and he's seen all of these miracles, how come that's not the thing in his final letter? Why not talk about it at the laying on of hands? I would love to have him unpack more stuff about anointing oil. Doesn't touch those topics at all. Doesn't talk about prophecy. Doesn't talk about a lot of that stuff. He, he references it here and there, but it doesn't seem to be this, the main focus of his letter. And that got me very confused. Because if you were a sports star and you were writing a letter and you only had a week to live, you would reference your sport, you would think. If you were a family man and you were writing a letter and you were referencing your life, you think you would reference your family. It doesn't seem to make sense. So I thought about it some more. And then I realized something. Where did Peter learn to walk on water? Jesus. Where did Peter learn to be full of the Holy Spirit? Jesus told him to do that. Where did did, did he learn any of this stuff? Where did he learn how to respond to conflict? Jesus. Where did he learn how to do miracles? He learnt it by being with God. Because he knew God, he was able to operate more powerfully in the miraculous than anybody else. So the point that Peter is making from beyond the grave, and it's the reason I'm reading it now on Miracle Month, because I actually think if he was here, he probably wouldn't preach on miracles. He'd preach on this, because he knew that there was a day coming where society would look the way it is right now. And his point is this, if you want to see more miracles, then you've got to get close to the miracle giver. And that is Jesus. If you want to learn how to be free from sickness, if you're sick, get close to Jesus. If you want to learn how to see into the future and have God give direction for your life, get close to Jesus. If you want to learn how to see breakthrough in the bondages of your family, get close to Jesus. If you want to learn how to have greater authority over the powers of darkness, get close to Jesus. If you want to learn how to respond better in an altar call, get close to Jesus. If you want to learn how to speak with the authority where God's actually speaking through you and it's not just your mouthpiece, but the Holy Spirit coming through you, get close to Jesus. That's the point He's actually making. If you want more miracles, get close to Jesus. Learn to know Him like I know Him. That's His point. He's saying, it's not an accident. I've done stuff that you can't do because I've spent time with Jesus that you haven't spent time with. But even greater, the point that's even more fantastic is this he's saying you don't have to have lived with him for three years on earth you can have a relationship with him right now and follow him so closely that you can see more miraculous power at work than I have seen just get close to Jesus so how do you get to know God more like Peter knew God more that's my thought late at night half asleep lying on the couch in my trackies. And (laughs) it's both very simple and very complicated, like everything in Scripture. It's the same way that you got to know people in 1985. It's the same way that we get to know people today, through their voice and through our experiences. So how do we hear the voice of God? Number one. Everyone say number one. The Bible. Always starts with the word of God. It's this the, it's the, it's the ultimate way to hear God's voice. So I was talking literally to my son last night. Very simple, very complicated. I'll get to very complicated in a minute. He's eight and he's asking me, how do I hear God's voice? I said, all right, we're going to do one each day. The first one, the most important one, is the Bible. It's more important than all the others. I said, because it gives reference point to everything else. Peter labours that point. When you go and do your homework this week and you read the rest of Peter, he bangs that drum hard. He's like, get close to the Word, get close to the Word, get close to the Word. That's how you'll get to know Jesus, right? But this is where I think we get tripped up sometimes as Christians. You've got to think about if you're married and you speak to your spouse for 15 minutes a week, but 14 and a half of those minutes are just things that need to get done around the house, what kind of a relationship would you have? At most, it'd be like an employee-employer relationship, even if it was a good relationship. But if all we do when we read the Word is bring our shopping list of all of our miracles and everything that we want to receive from God, that's actually what we turn our walk of God into, right? But that's not what marriage is like, a good marriage at least. If you're in a good marriage, you talk about all kinds of stuff. Yes, you talk about the stuff that needs to get done around the house and who's picking up the kids and all that stuff, sure. But you also talk about other stuff. They tell you random stuff about their past and their history you know, um, they tell you stuff that you don't understand. I think sometimes I talk to Krista, she doesn't have a clue what I'm talking about and vice versa. I was still trying to figure stuff out. I'm like, how does her mind work? You know, Um, and I know her better than I knew when we first got married, but she still says stuff where I'm like, why do girls think like that? I don't understand. That's very confusing, right? And so there's that, right? And then you have times where uh, they pour their heart out to you and you listen to them. You don't say much, you just listen. And there's times where you pour your heart out and they listen and they don't say much. And there's times that you're going through something and you're stressed and there's times when maybe um, I maybe do something dumb and my wife has to lovingly say, "Hey, that was dumb," and I go, "Yeah, you know what? You've made a good point. That was dumb. I need to stop that, right?" And so all these kinds of things happen. And you know, in marriage, not every single day that you possibly communicate, you have a three-hour intense, deep, and meaningful conversation. And if that doesn't happen, That doesn't mean that your marriage is on the rocks. It just doesn't usually happen every single day. Sometimes it takes a couple days for one of those to pop back out. So don't be surprised that when you read the Bible, it actually is the same in your time with God. There are times when you read the Bible where sure it's deep and it's powerful and you weep. And then there's other times where you're like, I don't understand what that means. And then there's other times where God is basically just giving you something to do and you're like, okay, I need to do that. And then there's times when you're spending time in the Word and it's just you pouring out your heart to God. And then there's other times that God is pouring out his heart to you there's all kinds of random times that flow in scripture and that's what we need to get used to do right but i know what you're thinking hey phil thank you so much for sharing that but i've been a christian for 20 years and i came to church to be challenged by you not for you to tell me something that i already know okay let's dial it up have you read the whole bible cover to cover if you haven't you probably should because the whole bible is good And if there's anything that I hope you would have learned from my preaching over the last couple of years, even the bits that other people skip over because they're weird, there's some really good stuff in there if you know how to get it, right? But you've got to read the whole Bible cover to cover. And if you're going to read the whole Bible cover to cover, you're going to find stuff when you study it. I don't just mean just skim over it. I mean, when you really dig into it, like your favourite bits, like your favourite stories. You know, when people say to me, like, I just read my, the parts of the Bible that are like my favourites. I'm like, how do you know the other bits aren't your favourite if you haven't read them yet? That's like, I only like comedies. Have you watched anything else? No, I just like comedies. It's like, well, what do you feel like action films? You need to watch one and then you'll realise if it's good or if it's not good, right? So, um, let me give you an example. A couple years ago, I was studying the book of Zephaniah. Some people think, Is that actually in the Bible? Yes, it is. It's amazing. It's a book in the Old Testament. So studying the book of Zephaniah, and I stumbled across this little tidbit. God loves to sing. He loves it. I mean, really loves it. He talks about in this book how much he absolutely loves singing. I'd been a Christian a long time. I didn't realize this until I was studying Zephaniah. Our youngest son, Isaiah... Loves to sing. He sings all the time about all kinds of stuff. Just listening to him. He even sings... His own action songs when he's playing action fights, you know? It's bizarre. It's a whole gamut of genres of music from my son, right? He sings about his dinner. He sings when he's in the bath. He sings when he's getting dressed. He sings about not wanting to do stuff. He sings about wanting to do stuff. The boy loves to sing. And what's incredible is Zephaniah basically says God is one of those people. Does anyone know one of those I love to sing people? You're in a car ride with them. They're busting stuff out. Even when you tell them not to sing, they're hum. Which is even more annoying. Is it just me? Am I the only one that has been surrounded by people who love to sing? Come on, give us a wave. If your spouse is one of those people, put your hand down. It's not safe. God is one of those people. So then I started to think, well, if God's one of those people that loves to sing, what does God sing about? Like, what does a God sing about? I know what Isaiah sings about. What does a God sing about, right? So it says that he sings and rejoices over his people. Give us a wave if you're a Christian. He sings over you. He writes songs about you, which is crazy, which is crazy. He sings over those whom, the Bible says, has, he's removed their judgments, which means when God has removed judgment from you, not only do you feel that, He actually feels that same, "Ah," and then he sings a song about you, which is pretty cool. Again, he's one of those people that just busts out to song. It's like a musical in heaven. That's what I'm reading here, right? He sings um, over those who are rebelling against him. That's fascinating. I wonder what those lyrics are. He sings about people who've been restored, He sings over people who, the Bible says, have no righteousness in and of themselves, which means even if you feel like, I'm not that great a person, I really don't, he still sings the songs about you, right? He sings over those people, it says, who have every reason to fear the face of God and no reason to want to be in his presence, but he still sings about them. Now, lists a whole bunch of other reasons, but what I'm trying to say is if God was on social media, he would be one of those people that is always sharing songs with you. Anyone know someone like that? They're always sending little YouTube videos, sending little links. That's what God would do. And that's what I learned when I studied his word. If you did not know that, then let me encourage you, even if you've been a Christian for 40 years, you haven't been digging deep enough into the word of God. This isn't a new Christian thing. This is a Christian thing, right? Which means... I started to think about this and the application of this. If it talks about God singing all over the place and God is all over the place, then maybe right now, while we're here in church, Jesus, although we can't see him and we can't hear him, might actually be walking up these aisles singing over you. But then not only that, it talks about that he's singing all the time. And if there's one thing I know about singing all the time, people, they sing everywhere, which means... And I can't wait to ask him when I get to heaven. I don't know if this is true, but maybe those times in my home late at night when I've been stressed or anxious or worried, and there's just that tension in the air, and I go gently off to sleep. Maybe the reason that I wake up at peace is because he was walking up and down the hallways of my home, singing over the home and changing the atmosphere. It's pretty cool. You can give God a hand for that. So how do I read the Bible and get that kind of stuff out of Scripture? Well, there's no like, within reason, there's no right or wrong rule. When I started reading the Bible, I did the, uh, did the old... Uh, and it was real good for about like three weeks. And then I was like, Judas hung himself. And I'm like, Ooh, I don't like that one. Flip the page over. Time too, right? That's how I started reading this Bible. Anyone ever done that before? About eight people, the rest of you, very godly. Um, that's how I started reading Scripture. But then, as I got more mature in my faith, I had to find better ways of reading Scripture than that. Now, um, what about if you've been saved a long time? What about if you've been saved a really long time? How do you read the Bible and get stuff like the singing bit out of the Scripture? Well, a lot of people will say, well, I just read devotionals. And devotionals are fantastic. You know, those little ones you get online and subscriptions, so much stuff. That's great. I do those too. I got nothing against devotionals. I think devotionals are fantastic. As long as you don't read any weird ones, you're all good. Devotionals are great. But devotionals are like going to a restaurant. And restaurants are for you. Interesting question. Blind man answered, Master, I want to see. And Jesus told him, you may go. Your eyes are healed because of your faith. Right away, the man could see. And he went down the road with Jesus. So I read this scripture as a new Christian. Um, I'd been saved a couple months. I was a bit of a mess when I got saved. And so when I read it and I asked myself who I am in the story and why, I was like, I'm definitely the blind beggar. Not because I'm blind, but because I got a whole bunch of issues that are really obvious to everyone. Like one of them was I was struggling to stop swearing. <laughs> but then, because I was so nervous about swearing in front of Christians, then I would swear because I was nervous. Yeah, so that was a thing. And I had a bunch of bad habits in my life. And so I was like, very clearly, I'm blind, 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 blind. That's who I am. Where is Jesus in the story? And I noticed that Jesus was listening to him when he was crying out. And I realized that I thought that Jesus was far away from me. But all those times I was crying out to him, he was actually tuned into the sound of my voice. Which was like, wow. So what's he doing? He's listening to me when I pray. Okay, that's pretty powerful. Is there a difference between who I am and where God is? And the answer was yes. See, because I thought I was such a filthy, rotten sinner that I had to create this distance between me and God. I was waiting for Him to call me out so that we could get close, but I realized He wanted me close all along. And so I needed to bridge the gap between my distance with Jesus. But then I read this scripture a few years later. I asked myself the same questions Who am I in the story and why? And at first, I thought I was blind Bartimaeus again because I still got issues. Everybody's got issues. Give us a wave if you've got issues. Half the crowd, the other half crowd lying. That's your issue. All right. So um, I was reading this scripture and I was thinking about all my issues. It's funny. I always pray before I read the Bible. And I was praying and I was saying to God how annoying it was at church. Because I have a seat at church. Give us a wave if you've got a seat. have a seat. And people had sat in my seat. Some young people who needed God, had sat in my seat. I just thought it was very rude. I mean, you just rock up out of nowhere, stealing people's seats. It's not a great way to make friends, show some respect. This is the house of God. God is watching. I've been doing this Christian thing longer than you. Plenty of other seats around. Five empty seats on the road. You sat in my seat. Why did you do that? I was not happy about it, right? Someone even moved my jumper. I put a jumper down. That's the universal Christian thing. Don't touch my seat, right? God is watching, That's some kind of sin I'm convinced in heaven. I'm still looking through scripture. We'll get there one day, right? Remove my jumper. Anyway, so I was having a whinge and I was like, Lord, bless them. You know, I know that they're, you know, I'm having this whole thing. You know, I felt like I was very holy and godly in my prayer. So I'm reading the story and I'm like, I'm blind (laughs) Bartimaeus. And we'll talk about impressions in a second. I felt like the nudge from the Holy Spirit, like maybe you're not blind Bartimaeus. And I realized to my shock and horror that I was not blind Bartimaeus in the story. I was the people telling blind Bartimaeus to shut up because I realized that these people who had stolen my seat wanted to get close to front so that they could actually encounter God. And I was upset at them because their encounter was ruining my encounter. And so I'd only thought about myself and I hadn't thought about them. I hadn't thought about the person that had stolen my seat. So who am I in the story and why? Well, we just clarified that. Who is Jesus in the story? Do you know what Jesus does? He prioritizes the blind man over them, which is a subtle, not impressed. That's a, that's a, you know, good job, guys. So I realized when I was like patting myself on, I had my Hillsong going and I was like, I'm such a godly guy. I've got such a good attitude about this. God was looking at me going, not impressed, which is a bit convicting, <laughs> So is there a difference between who I am and where he is? Yeah, there was. Because <laughs> I should have actually given them my seat. I should have gone out of my way. But instead, I had a stinking attitude, three seats up from that seat, just staring at them occasionally in worship, you know, wondering if they're hearing the songs that they're singing. <laughs> you can read the Bible any, anyway. There's within reason. There's no rules. That's how I read Scripture. Number two, everyone say number two. Impressions. Impressions. God often speaks to people through impressions. So that would be a conscience. Um, sometimes people would say, God's speaking to me through my gut. That's not always true, but sometimes it is, yes. Or there's just a vibe. People talk about it, feel a peaceful vibe or whatever. Um, but impressions are very powerful. God does speak. I remember um, I was in a, a church in Melbourne. I was where I, I, you know, back then. And um, I was chatting to this young lady after the service. She'd been early mid-20s. And um, I just said, hey, how are you? Good to meet you, yada, yada, yada. And uh, she said, do you want to hear my story? And I was a little worried when people say that because sometimes their stories are weird, but whatever. I'm like, okay, just be polite. Sure, what's your story? She goes, well, I never thought I'd be here. I'm like, oh, that's a good start. Um, she said, I woke up this morning and I went to a cafe. And she said, I'm not religious. I don't know any religious people, don't know any Christians, never went to a Christian school or anything like that. Don't really like religion Um, was very happy with my life. I'm not depressed. I'm not miserable. I'm not addicted to anything. I'm good, right? I said, okay. She goes, I went to this cafe, and I'm sitting in this cafe. I'm just having my Sunday morning chill time, and I just get, she goes, this overwhelming feeling within me that I need to go to church. She goes, I've never been to a church service in my life, and I have never had a desire to go either. It's not that I hated God. She goes, I'm just indifferent to the whole thing. I said, okay. She goes, I've got this feeling I need to go to church. So she goes, so I thought about, well, where would I go? Which church would I go? And I just get this gut feeling I should just Google and one will jump out. So I Googled church. And she goes, I scrolled through and I found this church. And I saw that the service was starting in like an hour. So I jumped in my car. I drove to the church. I get to the church car park. She goes, I parked my car. And I just had this like peaceful vibe. It felt good which is a bit weird, she said, because I'm not really into that, but all right, whatever. Get out of my car, go into the service. So she said, you know, you did that little Christian karaoke thing at the start. I was like, all right. So she goes, I'm watching that. And then you did the like, you know, the little, little blood, little cup thing, little snack thing that you hand out, little kid snack. I'm like, yep, okay. She goes, we did that. And then they did the offering thing. I'm like, yep. She and then the guy was, was speaking. Now you've got to understand, this was not this was not a Reinhard Bonnke service. You know what I mean? This was just, you know, you you go home and some days you're like, church was amazing. And other times you were like, church was all right. This was one of those church was all right Sundays, right? And so, um, you know, it wasn't particularly compelling or anything like that. She goes, as he's getting to the end of his little TED talk, she goes, I had two overwhelming feelings at exactly the same time. I said, what were they? She goes, the first one was, I... I just, I felt, she goes, I think convicted would be the right word, like a judge. She goes, I felt convicted of a whole bunch of my behavior. I think you would call it sin. She goes, but what's fascinating to me is I would not have thought of that as sinful at the start of the day. In fact, I felt good about my choices. I'm a good girl. I'm not a bad person, right? So, but she goes, I start feeling overwhelmed by guilt and shame. But she goes, but then there was a second feeling at exactly the same time. I said, what was that? She goes, I felt Overwhelmed by the fact that Jesus loved me and cared about me and had come to rescue me from my guilt and my shame. So she said, So I prayed under my breath, Jesus, if this is really you and if you're really real, what am I supposed to do now? And I look up and you're doing that thing that you call the altar call, where you're like praying the prayer about inviting Jesus into your heart so he can remove your sins and set you free. So I prayed that prayer and now I feel like I'm completely changed. That's the power of when God speaks through impressions, right? So, yeah, God's good. you've got a hand. Um, so you might be thinking, well, that's great, Phil, but I already know that, and I've been a Christian for 27 years, and I came to church to be challenged. OK. I have found that the longer you walk with Jesus, the slower you respond to His impressions. She didn't, you know, deliberate on them for a few hours. She didn't phone 27 friends to bounce that off them. She got in a car, went to a place that she never wanted to go. Then she walked into the thing. When she prayed and said, what am I supposed to do? And the thing, she responded straight away. New Christians are great at that. Older Christians, I need to fast about that one. Oh, I'm not sure. I mean, I read that out of the message and that's not a great translation of Scripture. And so I really need to see it in the New King James or an NIV before I'm really going to make that call. Well, I mean, I really did feel an impression to talk to that person. But let's be honest, that's the crazy one in our church. So I'm not going to respond to that. Um, I don't really know if I want to forgive that guy because really he's kind of a, you know, I can't use that word because then I'll have to repent later. So I'm just going to stew on it and just make sure I know from God. Those are mature believers. So let me ask you a question. How quick do you respond to the impressions of the Holy Spirit? If you've been a mature believer, you should set the example for new Christians, not the other way around. This is my, I'm going to lose friends sermon. Number three, everyone say number three. Visually, through dreams and visions. Dreams and visions. Uh, one of my good friends, he preached here earlier this year and he touched on a little bit in his sermon. So I won't go into massive detail because you can just podcast it. Uh, uh, Zoran Pornovich, he's, he's probably the best guy in Australia for this stuff. He is phenomenal. I've actually been saying to him, I've been thinking, you guys just tell me later on if this appeals to you, actually getting him to come and do like a dream workshop over the weekend where he unpacks and explains dreams. He's phenomenal at that, right? <clears throat> but God does speak that way. And uh it's funny, I was a Christian for a long time. I was a pastor for a long time. And I was like, yeah, I know God does speak this way. And I've had God speak to me through dreams and visions. But I actually felt like the Holy Spirit challenged me a couple of years ago to actually start a dream journal, to have a little note thing on my phone. I, I love pen and paper, but I've lost a thousand books all over the world. I'm the wrong guy for that. So just have a little thing on my, my phone. And when I get a dream that I think might be from God to write it down while it's still fresh when I wake up, again, this is something that a new Christian would do. But if you've been a believer for a while... Do you jot stuff down when you feel like God's spoken to you through a dream or a vision? Because God does want to prophetically speak. Number four, everyone say four. Audible voice. It's very rare, but it does happen. You probably, most people will be Christians their entire lifetime. They'll never hear God audibly speak. It's very, very, very rare. I've never heard God's audible voice, but it does happen. And interestingly, it can happen to people that aren't Christians. Do you want to hear a story? All right. I was teaching on this topic. I was teaching about how to hear the voice of God. I was doing a prophetic workshop. And a guy comes up to me. This often happens. He's like, do you know the audible voice? Do you want to hear my story? And I was extra worried because he looked weird. But anyway, I was like, okay, tell me your story. He goes, when I was growing up, I was a dirtbag. I laughed. He goes, no, no, really. He goes, I was not a good guy. I took advantage of people. I screwed people over. He goes, I was a bad guy. So anyway, he goes, "I, um, I was... I was a young adult and I was going through life and I was living my dream and I didn't care about God. I wasn't interested in faith. And I'd heard through a friend of a friend that this Christian girl, she'd have been about 19, um, she was just going through a whole bunch of stuff. And I thought, this will be a good girl to take advantage of because she'll be vulnerable and, you know, she won't, she won't you, know, you know. So he goes, so I got a number through this friend and I called her and made an excuse to come and visit her. I go to visit her. And I knock on a door, and I just invited myself in. So she makes me a cup of tea. We're chatting. goes, I'm finished the tea. I put my cup down, and I go to make my move. And I hear this voice, like booming thunder, roar out over the room. Back off. She's mine. He goes... Now, I had a whole bunch of issues in my life. He goes, but I wasn't really a drug user and I was definitely sober. <laughs> so I knew it wasn't me. I looked over at her and said, did you hear that? She goes, hear what? And he goes, no, I didn't know what it was, Bar's getting out of there, right? So he goes, I stood up. I got to, you know, this is my house and the tap and the, 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 I, got to get, I just got to get out of here. He goes, I was gone. He goes, I deleted her number. I was like, I, I, you know, I don't want anything. To, I don't know what that was. I don't want anything to do with her ever again, right? He goes, "Now I found out later, she met a good Christian guy, she got married, she had a couple of kids, she's living her best life." He goes, "But me, I just continue living my worst life, right?" So he goes, "I'm hanging out with all the wrong people, I'm doing all this bad stuff." He goes, "But I never forgot this voice." So he goes, "There was this one day, he goes, I really started to think about this voice, and I started to think who was this voice?" Was it a ghost like her grandfather? Was it Buddha or, you know, Krishna or Jesus or what was it? A demon? Like, what was this voice? And the other thing that I couldn't get my head around is why did this voice care about some random chick from a broken home? Why does she matter? And he goes, So I started exploring it and I got onto the idea that the voice must be a God. And then I started exploring what that God was. And I came to the realisation that it was Jesus. And he goes, and I've given my life out to Jesus and I'm sold out for him ever since. That's the power of God's audible voice. So you might be thinking, well, he can't challenge me on this one because God's audible voice is so rare. Wrong. Here's the thing. How often do you host the presence of God? It's one thing to say, well, I haven't heard the audible voice of God, but if he wants me, he can find me. But we often do the same thing with the presence of God, which is much easier to access We say, well, if the presence of God wants to appear in my home, He knows where I live. He can find me. But do you actually put on worship? Do you take communion at home? Do you anoint rooms with oil? Do you ask for the presence of God? Do you chase after the presence of God with the same thing that you would chase after if you knew that you could hear the audible voice of God? Because I think I speak for every mature Christian when I say, if we knew that we could go somewhere to hear the audible voice of God, we would do it. If we could, when we were stuck, if we could hear the audible voice of God in a room, we would do it. But the presence of God, which is just as powerful and just as important as the audible voice of God, we don't chase after his presence like that, but we should. Number five, everyone say number five, through other people or things through other people or things. For example, in Esther 4.14, um, she, um, she's chatting to her uncle Mordecai. She's got to do this grand thing for God and she's feeling a little bit like maybe I shouldn't do this and she's having second guesses. She's got imposter syndrome. And her uncle Mordecai says basically that you were put on the earth for such a time as this. And she feels God speak to her through her uncle. God can speak through things, through people, but I will say, time out. Let's be a little bit careful with this one. See if it references some other things. Otherwise, you're going to do lots of weird stuff. And we don't need any more weird Christians. I remember there was this girl, and Christian and I knew her really well. She went out with this guy. They were a bit of a mess together, because they were just, just messy in general, right? And then so they mess does not make clean up. It makes more mess, right? So they went out. It was really messy. They broke up. She really liked this fella. So um, anyway, she said to me, well, I've got good news. We're going to go out again. I said, oh, yeah, why is that? She goes, God spoke to me. I said, what did he say? She said, I was was on a train and I looked out a window and I saw his name graffitied on a factory. I knew that was God. I said, interesting. Where were you going on the train? To work. I said, how often have you been going on that train to work? Every day. For how long? Years. I said, so you've seen his name a thousand other times, but now that you're wanting to go out with him, suddenly the name jumps out and you think it's God? She goes, it's God. I said, has there been anything else other than that one thing? She goes, I don't need anything. When I hear the voice of God, I just respond. I said, well, sounds pretty dicey, but you know, uh, I would, I'd probably wait on a little longer. She's like, too late, we're already going out. I said, all right. And you can just imagine, this relationship was a train wreck, right? So if you've only got that to go off, go back to scripture, go back to um, impressions, talk to somebody else about it. So dialing up the heat for all the mature Christians, who do you call when you feel like you've got a sign or someone's spoken, you know, by God to you? Like, who do you call? Who are your people to bounce stuff off? Because that's what I do as a mature believer. I got a little, little, little call around. Hey, I felt like I heard this. What do you think about that? And when you call those people, do you actually listen to them? Or do they say, no, Phil, that's not God. That's pizza. And you say, well, you weren't there. You don't understand, right? So who are those people? If you don't have a list, you should do that. Number six, everyone say number six. Second last one, still small voice. God has a still small voice. He speaks quietly in our hearts. Now, for the sake of time, I'm going to give you a super simple crash course on it because I know that this is a bit long today. Um, There's three voices that could be in your head at any one time. There's God's voice. There's the enemy's voice. And there is your voice. So your voice might be like, I wish Phil would finish soon because I want to eat a hamburger, right? Probably your voice. The enemy's voice would be like, you do something dumb and then it's just like, you think you're beating yourself up, but maybe he's actually beating you up. You're so stupid. Everybody hates you. Everybody looks at you weird. Just take a step back. You know, Just, just withdraw a little bit, right? And you can get all those thoughts again and again and again. That could be the enemy. And God's voice is, well... It's like Scripture, which is why you need Scripture. God's voice will encourage you, build you up, and all of that, right? You've got to understand that sometimes, um, in fact, usually God's voice is like a flow of spontaneous thoughts. And so it sounds like that. So sometimes you actually think it's you, but you look back later on and you're like, that was God. That's right. That was God. Here's the thing, though, I would say for all the new believers, God never contradicts the Bible, So when you're like, I think God's basically saying it's cool just this one time. No, it's not cool just this one time. He ain't contradicting scripture. Yeah. Well, I just think God wants us to be progressive Christians. He doesn't want that. He hasn't changed. The Bible hasn't changed. If it says it in the Bible, that's what he believes. Hasn't changed his mind. The Bible says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, forever. So the best thing about that is... He's stable and we all need a little stability in our crazy world. The challenging thing about that is he is stable and he is not going to go with the ebbs and flows of the world. He is the anchor. That's how he works, right? So here's the question if you're a mature believer. Do you actually take time to journal and reflect on what God has said? How often do you think about the words that God has said? That's super important. Number seven, my last point, experiences with God. Experiences with God. This one is a little bit funny because I know that if all you are building your theology around or your relationship on with people is experiences you'll miss out. You won't fully understand things because sometimes you watch someone and you think that they're doing something, but you don't know their motive. You don't know what's going on in their heart. You only hear that by talking to them. I understand that. You understand that, right? That's the challenge with experiences. But to write off experiences altogether isn't just crazy. It's actually unbiblical. Let me give you an example. Psalm 34, 8 says, To taste and see that the Lord is good. Peter, in his prequel, 1 Peter 2 3, says, If you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. Revelation 12 11 says, They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. So, this is something that we all understand about relationships, but often we forget with our relationship with God. Like when you're a kid, how do you get to know people? How do you bond with people? You have experiences together, don't you? You ride your bikes together or you play Nintendo together or. You know, you go to the same school together and you bond through those experiences. And then when you get older and you become an adult and you start to date, you have those experiences too. In fact, you remember the time that you took them to meet your parents for the first time and how that went. And if your parents are weird, that would have been a funny experience, maybe. Maybe harrowing in the moment, you know. And um, you think about that time you went to the movie, but then you sat in the wrong cinema or whatever. And when we catch up with, with couples, what do we ask? How did you meet? Not tell us about a long conversation you once had. That's a weird question. Avoid people like that. How did you meet? And then you share the experience of how you came together. That is one of the keys, right? Notice that it does not say taste and see that serving in church and that God is good. It doesn't say taste and see that Christian concert and see that God is good. Now, I'm not saying that those things are unimportant. They're very important. They're vital. I've preached on them many times before. But the point is they're not as important as tasting. And if you want to use a non-biblical word, experience experience and see that the Lord is good but it's miracle month and some of you are thinking I don't feel challenged this has been a pushy sermon fine so we'll just we'll just cushy we'll dial it up a little bit right when it comes to the miraculous this is super super important Because miracles always reveal something about the nature and the character of God, but they also reveal something in the nature and the character of you. Every time, without fail, right? So here is the key, right? I know how to work more powerfully in miracles because I've been in environments where I've experienced the miraculous power of God. I've seen it with my own eyes. I believe that God can heal people. Yes, because he says it in scripture. Yes, because he's spoken to me. But also because I have seen God heal people. Which is why when I talk to people that are like, well, I think you've interpreted that scripture wrong. I'm like, how do you argue with this experience? The person couldn't walk and they now walk. How do you argue with the experience? They were deaf and they can now hear. What is your counteraction to that? No counteraction. Because there's an experience thing, right? Give us a wave if you've ever been in a room where miracles happen or you know someone and miracles happen to them, right? Give us a bit of a wave, bunch of people. We definitely need more miracles, right? So how do I know what your favorite food is? I'd ask you. How do I know what your favorite band is? I'd ask you. How do I know what your favorite movie is? I'd ask you. If you want to learn more about the miracle power of God, not only do you need to experience it, you need to talk to God about it. Have you ever asked God the question, if you're a mature believer, why did you do it at the altar and not out there? Or why out there and not at the altar? Why this year and not last year? Why this year and not next year? Have you actually ever wrestled that stuff out with God? Because this is the thing I know about experiences outside of my walk with God. When I took Krista to meet my parents for the first time, we talked about it as soon as we got in the car. (laughs) Give us a wave if you know what I mean. It wasn't like we just didn't speak about, well, that was an interesting experience and then just left it on. But often what happens with the miraculous power of God is the Holy Ghost moves powerfully in a service or at a prayer meeting or at home or whatever. And we don't talk about it again. But if we're mature believers, we actually need to learn to converse with God about his miracle power. That's why Peter knew a whole bunch of stuff. He experienced God's moving in miracles and then he spent time conversing with God about it. You know, for Christian and I, sometimes we laugh about the dumb stuff that happened when we were young. Anyone laugh about that? A few people. Everybody else, you must either be very strict or very young. We laugh about, oh, I remember that family gathering. Oh my gosh. Do you remember that time? Now, I remember like our first kind of like quasi date where we were just friends, but it was kind of like a date. You know what I mean? When I was in between moments, I wanted to really impress her by ordering the most expensive pizza I could on the menu, which is this sun-dried tomato and oil pizza and it was disgusting and she hated it and I hated it but I didn't want to tell her to be offended because I thought she was a real fancy girl and she didn't want to tell me that it was disgusting because she didn't want to offend me. We laugh about that all the time. We talk about that experience all the time. How often do you talk to God about the miracles that have happened? Not how often do you think about them? How often do you converse with the Holy Spirit about them? How often do you ask him, Lord, what has that revealed about your character and nature? If you are sitting in the back row and a miracle happens in the front row, you have to ask, why would the God of the universe who controls every Everything, want you to be in the room to watch that. What is he saying? What is he revealing about you and about him? That's important. That's why the month of miracles is so critical. Even if you don't receive a miracle, God wants to do something in your life even if you don't need a miracle, God wants to do something in your life. And that's true if you've never seen God do a miracle and you've been saved two weeks. But it's also true if you've been saved 52 years and you've seen God do lots of miracles before. He wants you to go on a journey. You got to think, Peter was saved less long than most of us were saved, right? He hadn't been a Christian that long by the time he died, right? So what is God speaking to you about? Matthew 7, 7 to 8, last scripture, and then I'm going to wrap up. I'll get the band up. Maybe just get keys, actually. Matthew seven, seven, eight says, Ask and the gift is yours, seek and you'll discover. Knock, and the door will be open for you. For every persistent one will get what he asks for, and every persistent seeker will discover what he longs for. And everyone who knocks persistently will one day find an open door. If I'm honest, this is actually probably one of the parts of Scripture that I've only really began to teach in the last couple of years. Because when I was a new believer, people rebuked me for believing this. I said, nah, you know, Phil, God's not a vending machine. You can't just ask God for experiences. You can't do that. He's not necessarily going to spit them out. Um, he doesn't owe you that. yada 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 yada." And they make very good points. It is true. God is not a vending machine. He doesn't owe me anything. But I had this little thought in my head that I now think, this little picture in my mind's eye, this visual, that I actually think was God. I, I thought, if I get to judgment day, and I was watching myself converse with Jesus, and he's like, no, mate. No day every time you responded to the altar, nothing happened. That, they were right. I'm not a vending machine. No, no, no. Just get to know me through the Word. Don't worry about anything else. I, I think that he would at least love the fact that I love him so much that I just want to get close to him any way I can. And I I think he was patting me on the back for that. But what if he does want you to experience things? He does want to do wild things in your presence. He does want to see miracles break out in front of you. Maybe he even wants you to use you one day to do a miracle and you miss out on it because you don't knock. You don't seek. You don't ask. Therefore, you don't find. And I thought, I'm going to live my life. I made a decision as a young Christian. I'm going to live my life chasing after experiences with God. And if I don't ever have one, c'est la vie. But if I do, it'll be worth all the while. And here's the thing. I've seen heaps of stuff. Because I realized Peter, that's his whole point. Don't you want to see more of the miraculous power of God? Get close to Him. Chase Him down. Speak to Him about it. You know, Krista and I have all these stories and we're always making new ones. It's a joke amongst all my friends. Oh, Phil's got another preaching story. I'm looking forward to Papua New Guinea. I probably get a hundred stories out of that week. But you know why? Because I said to God, I want to experience life with You. I don't, I'm I'm like, I'm still hungry, Lord. I could keep eating. I could keep eating, I could keep eating, I could keep eating. Some of you are like, well, I haven't seen a miracle in 20 years. Have you been banging down God's door and asking Him, Lord, I want to see a miracle. God, I want to see something. I'm sick of living off somebody else's faith. I want to live off my own faith. Chase Him down and watch what will happen. Say to Him, God, I give You permission to interrupt my schedule. Oh, some people won't like that, but say it anyway. God, I give You permission to move around the pieces of the chessboard that is my life. Because if You do that, Lord God, and I see You work wonders, and I go shoulder to shoulder with You and hand to hand with You, that experience to me is more important than the pieces that are on the board for me. God, I give You permission to take away money if it means that I'm going to get another experience. God, I give You permission to rearrange friendships if I'm going to have another experience. When You live a life like that you become a disciple of Jesus Christ in a truest purest form and you see what Peter had seen that's his point he's speaking to a generation that didn't live with Jesus like we haven't lived with him the same way but he's saying you can have powerful experiences with Jesus if you're willing to go after them so maybe do something crazy. Witness to someone at a bus stop. Go on a mission trip. Give, give something in the Miracle Fund if you've never done before. Do something. Step out. Watch what God will do. And if it doesn't happen the first time, do it the second time, the third time, the fourth time, the fifth time. Because my experience says that if you keep seeking, and it's scriptural, if you keep knocking, if you keep searching out God, you will find something. I promise you, you will find something. I don't think we're going to be the most normal church in Ipswich or Brisbane. But I don't want to be the most normal church. I just want to be a church that seeks after experiences with God. I want this altar to be an altar filled with people who want to experience God. We may not be the smartest, the funniest, the whateverists, but we can have experiences like no other. And if we do that, we won't be led astray because we will know His voice. We will know His Word. And we will have had experiences that will change our lives. Get everyone to close your eyes. I preach long enough. Yeah, all right, Lord. I'm going to pray for two kinds of people. The first kind of people are people who need Jesus. I'm asking if you know about Him. I'm asking if you really know Him. And if you maybe have never done this before, here's your opportunity to get right with Jesus. Or maybe, 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 maybe. You are like blind Bartimaeus. And you know Jesus, but you don't know Jesus. And this is your moment where you come out of the crowd and get close to Him. I'm not going to get you to move from your seat. You stay there, I'll stay here. But if that's you, if you need Jesus in your life as Lord, which means He's in charge, and Saviour, which means He forgives you for everything you've ever done so you can start clean, so that when He sings songs about removing judgment, He sings it over you. If that's you, either for the first time or the hundredth time, or no one's looking around, while everyone's got their eyes closed, I would love to pray for you. But so I know who I'm praying for. If that's you, can I just get you to slip up your hand? If you're like, Phil, please pray for me. And, on, and at the end of that prayer, you'll be a Christian. Yep, thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Anybody 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 else? Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Come on. Anybody else? Thank you. I see that hand. Anybody else? Thank you. I see those hands. You can put them down. Bunch of people. We're going to pray a prayer because it's talking to God, right? So I want you to talk to Him. But you don't have to stress about the words and all that. I'll say the words, you repeat them after me. So it's like a repeat after me prayer. You can't stuff it up, but it'll be fine. But so you're not alone, I'll get all the Christians to pray along with you. And hey, we're in a church. There's heaps of Christians. Are you ready, church? Dear Jesus, please come into my life as Lord and Saviour. Help me to follow You all my days. Help me to get to know You like, really know you? In Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, can we give all those people a hand? Righto. Last prayer and then I'm going to close. If you really want wild and crazy experiences with God, I feel like that's an anointing on my life. Just weird, wild, wonderful, wacky things happen. I literally had a pastor say to me the other day, can I come on one of your mission trips?" I'm like, why? He goes, wild things happen. I'm like, okay. I think it's literally just what I preached about. But if you're like, I want amazing things to happen in my life, maybe at work, maybe at home, maybe at school, whatever, I want you to stand to your feet. It's like, well, aren't you going to get everyone to close your eyes and dim the lights? No, come on, just say to God, here I am. I'm right here, God, and I am ready That's you, I want you to raise your hands in the air saying, Lord, I am ready. Lord, I am ready. Lord, I am ready. Lord, I give You permission to mess up my schedule so that I can have an experience with You. Lord, I give You permission to mess up my finances so I can have an experience with You. Lord, I give You permission to mess up my relationships so that I can have an experience with You because that relationship is more important than any other relationship. Lord, help me to remember the experiences that I've forgotten. Here I am, Lord. Call me out. Amen. Amen. Jesus, I just thank you for your people. God, I thank you for your people. God, I thank you that maybe now, even though we can't hear you, maybe you're singing over us in these moments. God, I thank you, Lord Jesus, that this is a church that longs to get to know you more. God, it isn't about numbers. It isn't about the stage. It isn't about the paint or the logo or any of those things. Lord God, it is about getting to know you more. God, I pray that people would deepen in their knowledge of the Word. God, I pray that they would uh, draw close through um, impressions and visions and all kinds of things, Lord God. And I pray, Lord God, through all of that, they would have experiences. God, I pray for every single one of these miracles in, in progress right now in the name of Jesus. God, I thank you for every single one of these sick people who needs healing, Lord Jesus, that your healing hand is upon them right now. Everyone who needs a financial breakthrough, that a financial breakthrough is coming their way. Everybody that is struggling with fear and anxiety, I break that off them now in the name of Jesus. I declare that He who the Son it's free. Is free indeed. God, I thank you for every one of these people that needs a miracle in their family. I declare Lord Jesus that you love families, that you're the God of restoration, Lord God, and you're bringing your restoring power to these families. God, I thank you for every one of these people that needs a touch of the Holy Ghost. Lord Jesus, you're here right now. You're sending your Spirit out over the crowd over every one of these needs. And I pray, Lord Holy Spirit, that you would ricochet off the walls of their house and bring breakthrough and change, Lord God. And I pray through these experiences, Lord God, we wouldn't just glorify you would actually get to know you Lord Jesus closer than our next heartbeat in Jesus name we love you Amen come on you can give God a hand I am Thank you for joining our podcast we hope you were blessed by today's message you can connect with us at shilochurch.com.au